Uh, Jesus, I don't know if you come from a blended family. Maybe you have a blended family right now. Uh, I come from a blended family. My wife comes from a blended family. Uh, if you don't know what a blended family is, you probably didn't come from a blended family. Uh, a blended family is when you have a half-brother or a half-sister or a stepmom or a stepdad. Well, Jesus came from a blended family. Uh, he had a half-brother. Uh, actually, he had several. He had a, a few half-brothers and a couple half-sisters. And, uh, but there was one in particular uh, half-brother named James, and he grew up with Jesus. Can you imagine uh, your brother? Raise your hand if you have a brother. Go ahead. Let me see you. Can you imagine your brother coming to you and say, hey, I got something to tell you. Uh, I'm actually, um, I don't know how to say this. I'm the son of God. Can you imagine? I have two younger brothers. One of them is, is in the tech booth right now. If he told me he was the son of God, <laughs> I would like, well, I didn't know the son of God could get in headlocks. What do you think about that? Huh? 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 You're like, well, hey, hey. there's no way I would buy that. Uh, in fact, James didn't buy it. He didn't believe it. He didn't not believe that Jesus was the son of God until after he got crucified, even while he was hanging from the cross, James still didn't believe it. There had to have been a part of James saying, bro, give it up. <laughs> Stop saying what you're saying. They're going to kill you, man. Uh, but Jesus uh, was willing to go to the cross over this. And uh, so he, he was hung on the cross, he died, he, he went to the grave, three days later he rose again, and then it was, whoa, okay, <laughs> maybe you are the son of God. And so James was one of the last guys to actually come around. Uh, but I understand that, you know, if you grow up having pillow fights with your brother, no doubt they did, you know, playing hide and seek with Jesus as kids. And then all of a sudden he breaks the news to you. Uh, that's a hard pill to swallow. But once he was all the way in, he ended up penning a message uh, to Christians all over about some unbelievable uh, thoughts and practices and revelations for us to implement into our life. Un incredibly unbelievable. And his probably of all of the things that James said, the very first part of the chapter is the most well-known because it's the hardest part to chew and swallow. Uh, and so we're going to unpack that. Uh, basically what James is saying is he's saying, hey, when you get... A surprise adversity. Like sometimes you can like get yourself into a pickle. Like I knew, I knew. I, but when adversity comes out of nowhere, uh, when the phone rings and everything was fine until the phone rang, uh, everything was fine until you checked your email. Uh, everything was fine until the Dear John note was on the refrigerator. When, when you get hit 
with this circumstance. The Bible calls it trials, problems, troubles. When you get hit with that, how do we respond? And even though it's well known to a lot of people, I want to systematically and uh, slowly unpack about three of those verses tonight because I just feel like it's just filled with wisdom on how to navigate these surprise moments of adversity. Uh, so let, let's begin to unpack it. James chapter 1, and I'm just going to just uh, take one scripture at a time. I've got four points total for you to write down, so I hope you're taking notes. But this is James chapter 1, verse 2. It says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, when you have problems like crazy, just coming into your life, consider it pure joy. Now, this is the part of the Bible where oftentimes people just kind of turn off, click, like you consider it pure joy. Keep on smoking whatever you're smoking. I'm not considering this a good time. Are you guys with me? Are you with me? Yeah, you go ahead and consider it pure joy. This is not fun for me. This is not fun. When you lose your job, it's not fun. I used to be in sales uh, before we started the church, and it was a straight commission job. Has anyone here ever worked on straight commission? You have no salary. If you didn't know how to pray before that job, you know how to pray during that job. Am, are you with me? I've woke up many a Thursday morning thinking, if I don't close a deal today, I'm going home with no money. It's incredibly infuriating when you get on the beltway, paying tolls, buying gas, skipping lunch because you can't afford it, get to the end of the week and say, I paid myself to lose money. <laughs> I bought gas. I did all these things. I've made no money. And then Thursday, it's like, dear God, I need you. And I distinctly remember coming home and telling Allie, it should always say, how, how much did we make this week? And, and I remember several times saying nothing. And then she would say, what do you mean nothing? And I would say, what, what, what part of nothing? <laughs> what part of nothing? It, Am I having trouble communicating here? Um, when that happens, it's like, look, I'm not considering this pure joy. This is not fun. This job is not fun. This season is not fun. James is saying, consider it joy. And I would say, keep talking. So let's keep reading. Consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Our, point, our first point this evening is our trials will be the source of something good. So I, I want you to just think for a minute of the greatest point of tension in your life right now, whatever it is. Maybe it's financial. Uh, maybe it's with your company. Um, uh, you know, Jessica's pregnant. Greatest point of tension is a foot getting rammed in your stomach. Crystal's pregnant. Maybe, you know, just stretching. Both of you guys are pregnant. What's going on around here? Ladies, do not drink from the water fountain. There's something in the water. I don't know what it is. So their greatest point of tension is probably something physical, I would imagine, if a human being is growing inside of your stomach. But for others of us, um, figure out what that is. What is it? Is it financial? Is it in your marriage? Is it health? Is it mental? What is it? 
I would propose to you that the greatest point of tension in your life is where God is working with you the most. Yeah, that's a toughie. The greatest point of tension, whatever it is, is where God is working with you the most. I'm going to give a transparent example. I was on the front row thinking, don't give this example. Don't give this example. Don't give this example. Here I am. I got to give the example. So anyway, I called up Allie this afternoon, and I just kind of said a few things um, that, um, you know, um, uh, it made her mad. (laughs) And so she said, uh, you know what, I I think I, I need to go ahead and get off the phone. That means she's really mad. So that was about 2 o'clock this afternoon, or I can't remember, it was this morning. It was this morning when I called. Well, we haven't, we haven't talked since then. This is pretty transparent, huh? So um, that's the greatest point of tension in my life right now. I got to go home. I'm going to preach for like five hours because I don't want to go home tonight. I don't want to go home. Does anyone need like to meet with their pastor after service? Because I got time. I got, I got time. I'm, I'm available. And so all day today, this has been in the back of my mind that I got to go home and, and, I, and I feel strongly that my, my position is a good one. I really do. I really, 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 really do. I feel like if I were to lay out my case to you, probably half of, well, the guys in the room (laughs) would go, you know what, brother? I feel you, man. Boom. The, The problem is, is that is because that's the biggest point of tension in my life, God is in the middle of it. So God has invited himself into my situation with my wife. He's in it. And so he's kind of dealing with me. And the way he deals with me is is almost kind of unfair because it's so fast. Like I had this thought like lightning through my head. You ever had that, just like this thought just comes out of nowhere. And, and, it, and it was this thought right here. It wasn't real profound. It was just like from her perspective, what does your statement sound like? So that's what I'm dealing with. <laughs> from, from her perspective, from her perspective, what does my statement sound like? What does my position look like from, from her perspective? And, and if I were her and, 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 and I called me, follow me here, <laughs> and I said that, how would I feel and what would I be thinking? And so God is in the middle of all that. I say all that to tell you that I have come to the conclusion that I was wrong and now I got to go home and apologize. Which I love doing. I love, love, love talking about how wrong I am, publicly especially. It feels good. It feels real good. So my, my theory is if you're going to have to eat humble pie, don't eat a slice. Eat the whole thing. 
and then just hope that you don't have to eat more later, right? Just pound the whole thing right off the bat. So I got to go home and, and tell her, hey, I've been thinking about our conversation and, and I just want to apologize. I'm sorry. And, and hopefully that'll be the end of it. Hopefully it will. But if she wants to make a few more points, then uh, I need to be a big enough man to eat that. Right? I started it. I picked a fight. I caused a problem. And she's allowed to make a few more points before we move on. What you mean that's good teaching, man? You t- did my wife call you today? Yeah, so that point in my life, God's dealing with. I don't know what point you're in, but whatever it is, whatever, the, whatever it is, you take the whole spectrum of your life, and wherever the most tension is, that's where God is mo- working the most. For me, he's not working in my life in the area of faith and finances, because that's the last thing on my mind. I'm trying to make sure I'm not going to be on the couch tonight. <laughs> Are you with me? All right, so here we go. Um, It's a source of something good. Let me finish this. Verse number three, because you know. I I like how he says that. You know. I do? Okay. All right, yeah, I know. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Point number two, trials put your faith on trial. So every trouble and every trial... Every rough circumstance, your faith is on trial. Now, when your faith is on trial, what exactly is happening? What what is happening is we are going to see heaven and hell, God. We're going to see, do you really believe what you say you believe or no? Do Do you really believe or no? Every time a trouble comes in, your faith gets put on trial. This happened in the book of Job. Job got put on trial. God looked at Satan and said, what have you been doing all day? He goes, I've been walking around back and forth looking for people who I can devour. He goes, have you considered my servant Job? Satan said, well, as a matter of fact, I have. They had a long conversation. All of a sudden, Satan started attacking Job. What is happening in the supernatural world? God is watching Job's faith. Satan is watching Job's faith. All of heaven, all of hell is watching Job's faith. How is Job going to respond to this amount of tension? So it doesn't matter what the trouble is, what the trial is. It can be as menial as me saying something stupid that I need to go home and fix, but by the time I go to sleep tonight, everything's fine. There's other troubles where it's going to last longer than one day. It's going to last a week. It's going to last until you get a job, until you get a raise, until someone gets healed. Sometimes they're longer problems, but it doesn't matter the length of the trial or the flavor of the trial. It's still your faith on trial. So everybody's sitting around going, 
what you going to do? What you going to do? And, and how many of us have seen casualties where their faith gets put on trial and all of a sudden we don't see them anymore? Where did that guy go? There used to be a guy that, that had uh, black hair and he always used to sit on the third row and, and he was always here and then all of a sudden I never see him anymore. Where did he go? Where did, well, I don't know where he went. Well, I don't know where he went either. You don't know where he went. Where, where, where did he go? Somebody call the guy. Well, let's call. Let's, you know, let's find his email address. Let's call the guy. I'll tell you what happened to him. I've been preaching for 16 years. I'll tell you exactly what happened to him. A trial came in. His faith got put on trial casualty it looked his faith looked greater than it was you ever hear about a boxer last thing was it who's the guy that Muhammad Ali knocked out in like 42 seconds who was that guy Spinks yeah Spinks was a bad boy Tall, big, muscle, bam, 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 boom, bam, walks in. Come on, come on, boom, 42 seconds out. He looked like a bad boy. He got put on trial. Bam, 42 seconds. Muhammad Ali's looking down at him like this. It's in every picture, black and white pictures in like 900 restaurants across America. This big old boy. <laughs> and that happens. Our faith gets put on trial. Let's see what's going on. So let's keep on reading. Number four, this is what James says. He goes, okay, you're about to be put on trial, but watch what he says here. We're going to break up this verse in two parts. Let perseverance finish its work. Let perseverance finish its work. Point number three, persevering faith is the most precious faith. It's the most precious faith. Faith that has endured. Have you ever met somebody that says, man, I prayed... God moved the next day. And then you say, man, that's awesome for you, man. That's cool. That's awesome. That's awesome. But it's almost like there's a part of us that says, hold on a minute. You prayed. God moved right away for your favor. Okay, that's cool. How did you pray? And what scriptures did you pray? And how did you pray? Do you see where the emphasis is? How did you pray? What scriptures did you do? Almost like it's a formula. And if there's one thing that ticks me off is whenever I'm watching TV and some slick willy guy is on there and he's saying, pray these five scriptures and say this and do this and jump real high and then drink this and smell that and here's some water from the Jordan River and, and, and you do these seven things and, and you're going to have a pink Cadillac and gold coins are going to fall out of the sky. And, and, and it's all on, where is the emphasis? It's on them. So none of us really get enamored when we just say I prayed and um, the next day I had a job we're happy but we're not impressed are you with me if you lose your job today if you lost your job today and you prayed tonight for a new job and you got one tomorrow I would go yes but I'm not really impressed with your faith are you with me what impresses me and what impresses you is when we don't get an answer right away. Or we were asking God for this and we ended up getting that. 
And then that person keeps on worshiping and keeps on praying and keeps on showing up to church and keeps on staying faithful. And we back up and we're looking at that person. We're going, wow, how in the world are you keep on worshiping God when you've gone through all that? Wow, aren't we more impressed with persevering faith? Uh, let me give you an example real quick. I've got a friend of mine in, in the Dallas area. He is a fireball preacher. You think I got energy? This guy's got energy. He was a Kung Fu guy. He won like six gold medals in the Olympics. He's just a Kung Fu preacher. So when he preaches, he does Kung Fu while he preaches. No, I'm just kidding. But he's just, he's a fireball. And so he's always preaching and he's a great preacher. His wife gets pregnant. The baby comes along and like, a week after the baby was born, she passes away. And so I'm out in this parking lot, and I have a baby. I've got three, actually. I couldn't imagine that. And so I asked them, how do you keep on preaching when that happened? Like, how? I said, because I don't know if I could do it. I think I would just like roll up and become like a troll under a bridge. I just, I don't, I don't think I could do it. And he goes, I cried. I cried out to God. And I just came to a place where I need to be okay with not knowing the whole plan. But it's not going to stop me from worshiping. And so I'm looking at him and this is exactly what I'm thinking. I want the faith that you have. I don't want to go through what you went through, but I do want what you have. And there's a part of me that wants to have that kind of faith. And I want to be like that. And I want to be that steadfast that when a storm comes, I'm locked and loaded. I'm not going to move. I'm, I'm going to hang on and keep on worshiping. Isn't that what persevering faith does to the rest of us? It's the most precious faith. But that kind of faith takes time to develop. And that's why James says this. He says these exact words. He says, let perseverance finish its work. In other words, don't quit don't bail, don't throw in the towel, let it finish its work. It is so easy. You know that commercial with the big red button? Easy, easy, the easy button, easy. It's like, hold on, hold on, don't hit the easy button and quit. Don't hit the easy button and stop believing. Don't hit the easy button and, and walk out of that relationship. Don't hit the easy, but no, no, no. Let it finish it's work. It's, it's working in you. And you go, what is it doing? What, what's happening? Watch this. So, this is going to be the result. So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Verse number four, spiritual maturity is happening. How do you become mature? Well, you say, memorize a whole bunch of scriptures and you'll get, become mature. No, that's not what the Bible says. If you memorize a whole bunch of scriptures, that makes you smart. 
not mature. You're just smart. You have knowledge. Doesn't make you mature. What if you say, what if I, if I do every single commandment in the whole Bible? That makes you obedient. Doesn't make you mature. What makes you mature? Well, according to the Bible, when you persevere, when everybody else is hitting the easy button and you want to hit the easy button, but you hang on and you push on. And that's what James is saying. He's saying, hey, you will become mature if you let perseverance take its course. Is this helping anybody? See, there is a humongous difference. I know a lot of spiritual people. Everybody can be spiritual nowadays. But to be spiritually mature, that's completely different. Are you with me? Maturity takes the ability to persevere. And he's saying, don't quit on that. Watch this. Verse number four, uh, I'm sorry, point number four is maturity has taken place. Check this out. Let's go on to the next verse. If any of you lacks wisdom, so now he's kind of like, he's talking about enduring, and then all of a sudden he says, okay, okay, hold, hold that thought. Let me talk to you about wisdom a little bit. Because here's the deal. What is wisdom? What is a, a working definition of wisdom? A working definition of wisdom is to see your present situation in a broader context. It's wisdom. So uh, a, an easy example would be, Daddy, can I have some ice cream? Luke. You're five years old. If you eat ice cream at 10 o'clock, I'm not even going to answer that. No, go to bed. <laughs> Lack of wisdom. He sees his present circumstance, but he can't see the broader context. Do you see what I'm saying? So what, he's, what James is saying is he's going, hey, look, when trials come, notice he didn't say if, when trials come, don't quit, persevere so that you'll become mature in the process if you need wisdom. In other words, you can't see the big picture so you're getting incredibly frustrated and mad. Because you can't see the big picture. You can't see the way God sees. You can only see the way you see. Ask him for wisdom so that you can see. And the Bible says that he will free. I'd love to show you how I see. I'd love to show you. The Bible says that he gives you wisdom without repentance. He's not even... He doesn't regret it. He loves it. I'd love to show you. 
Now, why does he skip from trials to the subject of wisdom? Because without seeing the big scope, you can get mad and bitter and upset and ticked and irritated. And and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Before you go there, ask for wisdom. Is this helping anybody? Are you glad you came to church on a Wednesday night? Absolutely. Watch this. Let's go on. I'm almost finished. Point number four, wisdom is available. I'm sorry, point number five, wisdom is available. Let's go to verse six. But when you ask, so now we're going to dive into this. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the man who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. So he says this, he goes, hey, look, um, uh, when you're going through a trial and it's not making sense and you're upset and you're mad, ask God for wisdom, allow him to show you the bigger scheme, but don't doubt, oh man, this is so good. Jeez, this is so good. My goodness, this is so good. When you ask for wisdom, don't doubt. In other words, don't doubt that there's a bigger context. When you ask for wisdom, when you ask God, let me see my situation in a greater context, don't doubt. In other words, don't doubt that there's more going on than just your little part of the big pie. Don't doubt that God is doing a lot. Don't doubt that God is in the mix. Don't doubt that some way, somehow God is in this and it's making me mature. Don't doubt that. I had a friend of mine, he's actually in the, in the room right now. Uh, I just don't want to point him out because I didn't ask permission to use this. Uh, he told me one time, he goes, Frankie, the situation you're talking to me about will work out for you and the the implying nonverbal was I don't know about everybody else but it's gonna work out for you and that was hard for me to chew on because I'm a pastor I never think just about me but then it dawned on me that God is taking care of them He's not just gonna take care of me and not them and so sometimes when you go to sleep, you got to just say, this will work out for me. I don't know about everybody else because God's taken care of them and it's their relationship with God. But it's, it's working out for me. And don't doubt that some way, somehow, this is going to work out for me. Don't doubt that. Do you see, are you following me? Let's continue to read. So watch this, verse seven. That person, well, let me back up a little bit. He says, if you doubt that there is more going on, your life is gonna be like this. 
It's going to be, hey, today's great. No, today's bad. I'm depressed. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. I'm doing terrible. I'm doing awesome. I'm doing terrible. God is good. God forgot me. God is good. God forgot me. That's how you are going to be every day of your life. How you doing? Yeah. How you doing now? Not so good. Does anyone know anybody like that? You ever get ready to call someone and you're like, I don't know who I'm going to be talking to today. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Here we go. I don't know. What's it? Why are they being tossed around like that? Because they're doubting that there's a bigger context to their situation that is working for them. See, that's so important because it's easy for us to go, I'm sure there's more going on, but is this going to work out for me? Are you with me? The greater context is, yes, there is more going on and God is a good God and he's working it to make sure that by the time this is all said and done, you are going to be incredibly mature, incredibly strong, and you're going to be able to carry more spiritual responsibility than you have ever had in your life. But is Joey gonna still love me? I don't know. But I do know this, that if God's plan for you that is perfect involves Joey, he will love you. But if God's plan for you that is perfect does not involve Joey, you can cry about Joey all you want to. Joey's not coming back. But it's for our best. It's for our best. And when we wonder whether or not God's plan is for our best or not, that's when you go, woo, ah, woo, ah. You got to, Don't doubt that there's more going on and it's for your best. Everybody say, it's for my best. It's for my best. Say, it's for my best. Say, it's for my best. It's for my best. Here we go. Last and final scripture. Actually, I got two more. Isaiah, you can come on up. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Did you catch that? For the person that does not embrace the fact that there is a greater context, that God is doing more than they can understand, that God is behind it and involved in it, That's the wisdom part. Remember the definition of wisdom is our situation in a greater context. For the person that doesn't see that, you get nothing. Nothing. It's only for the people that go, God, I recognize that your ways are above my ways. Your ways are greater than my ways. 
and what you have in store for me. I, I, it's big. My brain cannot compute what you're doing. I recognize that. And when we begin to start saying those words, that doesn't mean we all of a sudden, oh, I know what God's up to now. No. The only thing we're acknowledging is that God is up to something that we don't know about. And that's because he's God. He's smarter than we are. I had a guy tell me one time, like an ant can crawl over a Rolex watch and understand how it works is about as close as you can understand what God is doing. Last one. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. In all they do. And every day, every time, they're unstable. Every part of their life is unstable. Because of that. Let's all stand to our feet for me, please.